we have a Bible this morning, either a printed copy like I have here or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John's Gospel, the 19th chapter, the 38th verse. John 19, verse 38. If you Google Guinness World Records and you find the site and then you type in the search engine, most successful lawyer, the name Sir Lionel Luckhoo will come up. He was a Guinness lawyer who between 1940 and 1985 won 245 successive murder trials. He got 245 people off of murder in a row without losing a single case. Over a 45-year period, he never lost a single case. To have that kind of record, you would have to have tremendous analytical skills because you would need to be able to find the flaws in the cases against your clients. He would have to know how to ask the right questions to make cases fall apart. He would need to know what kind of things constitute reliable, convincing evidence. And all of that was true of Sir Lionel Luckhoo. He was knighted twice by Queen Elizabeth. He became a noted diplomat, and he was a member of the highest court in Guyana. Now, you may be asking, what does all of this have to do with, with us today? Well, one day, Sir Lionel Luckhoo was challenged to take his legal analytical powers and apply them to the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and come to a conclusion. And so he did that. And for several years, he spent his life studying the historical record. And I want to read to you just one sentence that summarizes his conclusion. This is what he said. He said, I say unequivocally that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Now, here is a man who studied the record, who applied the legal test of evidence, and walked away convinced that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. The Apostle Paul said, if the resurrection is not true, our faith is useless, and we are of all people without hope. You remove the resurrection... You disprove the resurrection, and Christianity is destroyed. We're wasting our time. We don't need to be here on Sunday morning. But if the resurrection is true, the resurrection affirms that Jesus is the Son of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says, He, Jesus, was shown to be the Son of God when He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
If the resurrection is true, it assures us that Jesus' sacrifice for our sins has been accepted. In Romans 4.25, it says, He, Jesus, was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. If the resurrection is true, it declares that Jesus is the judge, and one day he will judge the entire world. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, it says, For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. If the resurrection is true, it shows that there is life after death for everyone. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And if the resurrection is true, then it must be believed if we're going to be saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This morning, we are wrapping up our journey in the Gospel of John. We've been going through the Gospel of John for, for well over 30 weeks now. And now we're coming to the end of that journey, and, and we're completing this journey by focusing on John's account of the resurrection. Now, in each of the four Gospels, give us eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. But each of these Gospels give us different details about the resurrection of Jesus. But each and every one of them tell us that Jesus died on that cross for our sin. But he rose again. He defeated sin and death to make us right with God. And so what I want us to do is take a few moments to just read this entire story because I think it's worth our time. And then I want us to just unpack that story and learn some truths that I believe God can use to literally change our life. And so let's begin in, in John chapter 19, verse 38. Listen to what it says. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. Then the place of, cru the place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, and the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth 
that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other sitting at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them that I am sending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my finger into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger in here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless. Don't doubt any longer. Believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Now, our story begins with two members of the Sanhedrin who had become followers of Jesus. They go to Pilate and request Jesus' body. Evidently, both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had come to the same conclusion that Jesus was who he said he was. His words, his, his deeds, his miracles, his very character left no question in their minds that Jesus was the Son of God. But I'm sure, just like the rest of the disciples, his death shook their faith. They didn't understand why he had to die, and they certainly didn't understand at that point the resurrection. And so when he died, they took him down off of that cross. They prepared his body for burial, and then they put his body in a tomb that belonged to Joseph because the next day was going to be Passover. 
And then the day after Passover, Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb where Jesus was buried. Now Mary had had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. The Bible tells us that she had been possessed by seven demons. There's no telling what kind of immorality she had been involved in, but when she met Jesus, everything changed. She not only became a disciple of Jesus, she became a supporter of Jesus. And I believe that's true of everyone who becomes a true follower of Jesus. We don't want to just be known as a Christ follower. We want to support him. We want to serve him in every way we can. Some people say that Mary Magdalene was the last to leave the cross. She was the first at the tomb. Now, we don't know if she was the last to leave the cross, but what we do know is that she was first at the tomb. And that Sunday morning when she went there, she discovered that the the stone that had been rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away. And immediately, she assumed that someone had come and they had taken the body of Jesus. So she ran and she found Peter and John and she told them, Jesus' body is gone. And Peter and John ran as fast as they could. And when they got there, they discovered an empty tomb. Now, as we read the story, we discover that John outran Peter to the tomb. He got there first, and the Bible says he looked in and saw the grave clothes, but he didn't go in. The word translated looked in in verse 5 means to glance. What that means is that he looked inside the tomb, quickly glanced at it, but that's all he did. When Peter got there, he noticed the grave clothes were separate from the cloth that had covered Jesus' head. He went in and he examined. The word noticed in the Greek in verse 6 means to carefully examine or study. And then it says in verse 8 that then John went into the tomb. And it says that he saw and he believed. That that word translated saw literally means to understand. When John went inside that tomb and he looked at the grave clothes and he saw how they were laid and he examined all the evidence, he came to the conclusion that Jesus was alive. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christ follower, let me ask you, have you as of yet honestly examined the evidence? You see, I believe that 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 empty tomb is the cradle of Christianity. The cradle of Christianity is not found in a manger in Bethlehem. It's found in an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And the most important fact about Jesus' tomb is that everyone acknowledged that it was empty. Everybody did. Even Jesus' opponents acknowledged that the tomb was empty. The only question is why it was empty. Now, there's only several conclusions. There were only several conclusions back then, and there are really only several conclusions today. The first conclusion is Jesus didn't actually die. There are some people that believe that. They believe that Jesus went into shock from a loss of blood, but instead of dying, he merely fainted. He swooned from exhaustion. But when he got into that damp, cool tomb, it revived him. 
But for that to happen, that means that Jesus had to survive a flogging that ripped his flesh like paper. He would have had to have survived a beating with rods. He would have had to have survived carrying that cross through the streets of Jerusalem up Golgotha's hill. He would have had to have survived being nailed to that cross and hanging on that cross. He would have had to have survived his side being pierced with a spear all the way to his heart. He would have had to have survived being anointed with those burial spices that weighed over 75 pounds. They were a gooey substance that they would put all over the dead person's body to keep them from smelling. He would have had to have survived his body being wrapped like a mummy. He would have had to have survived all of that. And then when he revived, he would have had to have somehow had the strength to move that stone by himself. He would have had the ability to fight off those elite Roman guards, and then he would have had to have gone to find his disciples. Now, was Jesus alive when he was put in that tomb? Absolutely not. The evidence is just against that. Jesus died on that cross. Now, there's some people that say that the disciples took Jesus' body. But the disciples had nothing to gain. They had everything to lose. I mean, why would the disciples steal Jesus' body and then perpetuate this lie that Jesus is alive and then be willing to be persecuted and die horrifying deaths telling a lie? That just doesn't happen. That doesn't make sense. And how were these cowardly disciples that were cowering in a room behind locked doors, how would they have found the courage to go and fight off an elite group of Roman guards? The disciples didn't take the bodies. There are some that say that the Jewish authorities stole Jesus' body. But why would they do that? I mean, all they wanted to do for at least half of Jesus' ministry was to put him to death. And if they would have taken Jesus' body and the disciples would have started saying that Jesus would have, was alive, all they would have to do is produce the body of Jesus, place it in the marketplace, show the world that this is his body, and Christianity would have been destroyed immediately. The authorities didn't take the body. There are some that say that the disciples hallucinated. But there were over 500 disciples that saw Jesus alive at various times. And hallucinations are not something that are reproduced exactly like this was reproduced. You see, the only conclusion, if we logically look at the evidence, is that Jesus is alive. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in that tomb. But on that Sunday morning, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. But the next thing we see in this story is an exciting testimony. And so the Bible tells us that Peter and John, after they came to the conclusion that Jesus was alive, went home. Now, why would they go home? That really doesn't make sense to me. If they came to the conclusion that Jesus was alive, it, 
it would seem that they would go into the street saying Jesus is alive, but they didn't. They went home. And on top of that, they left Mary at the tomb. They didn't tell Mary that they had come to the conclusion that Jesus was alive. They left her there by herself. And as Mary was sitting there at that tomb, she began to weep and mourn because she thought she had lost Jesus. She looked inside that tomb, and there were two angels there, but evidently she didn't recognize them as angels. And, and they said, why are you crying? And she said, someone has taken the body of Jesus. If you'll just tell me where it is, I'll get it. And then she turned to leave, and, and she saw someone that she thought was a gardener. It was Jesus, but she didn't even recognize him. And she said, and the, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she said, if you've taken his body, just tell me where it's at, and I'll go get him. And at that point in time, Jesus looked at Mary, and he just uttered her name. He said, Mary. And the scripture seems to reveal that, that Mary just grabbed Jesus' legs and held on like there was no tomorrow. She wouldn't turn loose. That's why Jesus said, don't cling to me. In the Greek language, the tense of this means that, that Mary was holding on to him and would not let go. And Jesus said, you got to let go. I got something to do. And I've got something for you to do. You need to go and tell the disciples that I'm alive and, and I'm going to appear to them as well. You see, Mary met Jesus. And it's amazing to me that the very first person that saw the resurrected Lord was Mary, a woman. Because in Jewish court, a woman's testimony would not even be considered. And yet the very first person that Jesus appeared to was a woman. And it wasn't just any woman, it was a sinful woman. I mean, Mary had such a bad past. But Jesus had transformed her life because of that she had this wonderful joy and experience of seeing the resurrected Lord before anyone else and so she went to where the disciples were and said Jesus is alive and that takes us to the final truth that we see here and that is an earnest transformation that very evening the disciples were gathered together in a room behind locked doors and Jesus appeared to them and when Jesus appeared to them it changed everything I want to share with you several things that it changed first of all Jesus turned their fear into peace and joy listen to what it says in verses 19 and 20 it says that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders suddenly Jesus was standing there among them and he said peace be to you he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord the disciples were so afraid that they were hiding behind locked doors they were full of fear they had lost their joy but when they experienced the power of the resurrection they experienced a peace that passes understanding and a joy that this world cannot give we live in a world that is gripped with fear. There's a fear of sickness and death. 
There's a fear of what people will say about us, what people will do to us. Today in America, we have a fear of the economy, what's going to happen with inflation and the price of things and our jobs. We have a fear of what's going to happen in our country. We have a fear of what China is going to do. We have all of these fears. And yet Jesus said, fear not. The Bible says perfect love cast out all fear. The Bible says God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. These cowardly, heartbroken disciples who were cowering in fear behind locked doors were all of a sudden filled with peace that passes understanding and joy that was unexplainable. Dear brothers and sisters, what do we have to fear if we know the Lord? Absolutely nothing. What do we have to worry about if we know Jesus? Absolutely nothing. Because if Jesus has defeated sin and grave and death, then there is nothing at all that can hurt us. And there's nothing in this world that can bring you peace and joy like knowing Jesus. Narcotics won't. Alcohol won't. Relationships won't. A better job won't. A nicer neighborhood won't. That won't bring you peace that passes understanding. Only Jesus will. And there is nothing in this world that can bring you a joy that is from the inside, not the outside. A joy that's from the inside that nothing that happens in this world can take away. But that's what Jesus gives when we know the power of his resurrection. Peace and joy that is beyond our comprehension. Second, Jesus turned their sitting into sharing. In verse 21, it says again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What you need to understand is that whenever we become a believer in the resurrection, we also become a proclaimer of the resurrection. If we truly do believe that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, then we have to share that Jesus with the world. If we really do believe that Jesus came out of that tomb, he defeated death and hell for each and every one of us, then we must share that message with the world. And that's what these disciples did. They shared with crowds at Pentecost. They shared with individuals like the Ethiopian eunuch. Everywhere they went, they shared. Everyone they met, they shared with about the resurrected Lord. And listen, if Jesus is alive, it really does change everything. If Jesus isn't alive, then we're wasting our time. Jesus turned their sitting into sharing. Third, Jesus turned their weakness into power. In verse 22, it says, Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Later, Jesus would say, You will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, the way that you and I can live victoriously for Jesus in a sin-filled world is through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. 
You see, we aren't attempting to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus on our own. We are simply allowing the Holy Spirit to live through us as we walk through this world. It's not about what you can do. It's about what the Holy Spirit can do in you and through you. That's how we have power to walk victorious in this life. But then finally, Jesus turned their doubt into faith. Thomas wasn't there that Sunday night. By the way, that's why it's important not to miss church. You don't want to miss. I know some of you are here today and you're not planning on being here next Sunday. Don't miss next Sunday. It may be next Sunday that God has something in store for you. It may be next Sunday that God has a message that is just for you. God's going to use to encourage you, to comfort you, to uplift you, to challenge you like never before. That's why we need to be together as a body of believers. But God was gracious. The next week, Jesus appeared to the disciples again. And in verse 27, it says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless. Don't doubt any longer. And then Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Oh, dear brothers, Jesus can turn your doubt into faith today. I've got to be honest with you, I'm a doubter by nature. I'm a skeptic. I'm a, I'm a cynic. I, I really am. You tell me that this carpet is black, and I'll say, I don't know. It's kind of speckled. I think that it's black and gray and all kind of things. I'm just, I'm that way. I question things. But when I came to the point that, that I knew that I was a sinner, and Jesus died on the cross for me, and he rose from the grave defeating sin and death on my behalf. Even though I didn't understand everything, there was so much I didn't know. I held on to what I knew, and it changed my life. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to know everything to let Jesus change your life. But the things you do know, you've got to hold on to them and believe with all your heart. And there are a few things you've got to hold on to. You've got to believe that you're a sinner. And apart from the mercy and grace of God, you have no hope of eternal life. I want you to hear me. You will never experience heaven until you understand you don't deserve heaven. If you're here this morning and you think you deserve to go to heaven, you're never going to make it there. Because heaven is only for those who recognize that they fall far short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, and each and every one of us are sinners. You've got to know that. You've got to know that Jesus is your only hope. You can't be good enough to earn your way to heaven. You can't be religious enough to deserve heaven. There is nothing you can do on your own to get to heaven. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died that's why he rose from the grave, because he was our only hope. There is no other way. And we have to come to that point where we realize Jesus is my only hope for eternal life. And then we have to surrender our life to him. That's what trust is, isn't it? After all, 
And I mean, if I ask Matt to come here to the stage and, and I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall back and I want you to catch me, I'm trusting him. I'm surrendering my life to him because if he doesn't catch me, I'm in trouble. And when we surrender our life to Jesus, we're saying, I trust you. I trust you with my salvation. I trust you with everything in my life from here on out. And that's all we have to know. Do we have to understand the triune nature of God? Goodness gracious, I don't understand that to this day. Do we have to understand all of these things about predestination and election and and free will? Man, there are so many people that get caught up in those things that we're never going to have all that figured out this side of eternity. There are things that we don't have to know. But we do have to know we're a sinner. We're in need of a Savior. That Savior is Jesus. And He gave His life for us. And if we surrender our life to Him, He will save us. He'll change everything. And that's what Easter is all about. And if you're here and you're a Christ follower, Jesus has changed your life. My challenge to you today is let this Easter be different than every other Easter in the past. Let it be different. Let this Easter change your life from here on out. Fall so in love with Jesus. Surrender your life so much to him that all you want more than anything else is to live for him and to serve him. If you're here and you're not a Christ follower, then I would ask you what's holding you back. Examine the evidence. Jesus isn't in that tomb. He died. He was buried. The tomb is empty. And his disciples died horrifying deaths, making one proclamation. Jesus is alive. He's alive. And he wants to live in your heart and life. And so if you're here and you've never given your life to him, then I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never truly surrendered to him, then I want to invite you right here, right now, to humble yourself right in your seat. Place your faith in Jesus alone. Acknowledge your sin. Surrender your life to him. And let him save you. Begin to experience the life God created you to live. If you're ready to do that, you can pray the simple prayer, dear God. I humbly come to you today acknowledging I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. But I want you to forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. So I could be forgiven. So I could be made brand new. Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.